0: Ladies and gentlemen, May is coming to a close, and I'm getting over a fever, which means that the Toronto Fringe Festival is fast approaching. The fever's unrelated. Today, House of Rebels' Rachel Kennedy sits down with Aaron Jan, who is one part of Filament Incubator, an effort that started earlier this year between four emerging artists to produce eight plays in eight months. They're currently underway, and it's been going quite swimmingly for them thus far. In this interview, we'll get to hear from Aaron Jan about this colossal undertaking as well as his fringe shows that he's involved with and the upcoming season of Filament Incubator. And Without further ado, I'll take you straight to Rachel.
1: Hello, this is Rachel from House of Rebels, and I'm here with Aaron Jan from Filament Incubator. Hey! hey
0: it's good to see you again. I haven't seen you in a while. Yeah,
1: I know. It's been a bit. It's nice to do these interviews. I get to see everyone again.
0: Yeah, in the beautiful Kensington Market. Mm-hmm. There was, like, a storm last night, and, like, yeah, it knocked out most of the power. I went to the bank today with my one of my company members, Dan Bag, and, like, they didn't have power, so we just kind of sat there in the dark looking at her. <laughs>
1: Yikes. It sounds like a nice encounter. Mm-hmm. Romantic. Yeah, Dan and I, like, touched each other. It was great. Well, speaking of Dan, you two are two parts of the film incubator. We're two parts of a four-person
0: team, yeah. yeah.
1: What are the other members, and why did you choose to work together?
0: Uh, we're working with uh, Andrew Markoviak, uh, who is an actor. He's done film stuff. You lived with him at one point. I did. Yes, and uh, yeah, and um, Zach Parker is my friend. He's on tour right now, actually, in the yeah. States, so he's gone. But um, we kind of all worked together, because I remember we were sitting in the basement at the lab one day, and... We didn't get drawn in the fringe. Later, I got into site-specific. Actually, we want to cut that part. But, but we didn't get drawn in the fringe. We did not get drawn in the fringe. And um, we were sitting in the basement of the lab. And um, we were sitting there, and we were like, oh, man, we didn't get drawn. And uh, I remember Dan was... It was funny, because Andrew thought we'd gotten drawn, but we didn't, so it was like a bigger sting. No. I got a text message from Andrew, and Andrew's little voice going... Yeah, man, oh, we got we got drawn. And I was like, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Then I was like, did we really? He's like, oh, I looked at the number. We didn't. So then um, we were sitting in the basement and we were pretty drunk. And I remember Aunt, uh, Dan said, man, I'm so tired of this. These festival models. I'm so tired of waiting to get paid. I'm like, why, Dan? He's like, I have a show ready to go right now. And I was like, oh. And then Andrew was like, I can get a show ready right now. And I was like, I have five shows ready to go right now. Yeah. So um, the, we kind of thought about this as a question to ourselves. Why, as emerging artists, are we so dependent on a festival model to produce our work? Um, why are we so scared of self-producing? So we thought, um, or I guess we figured, that the reason why we're so scared of self-producing is because the competition is so big in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to go against Tarragon. I don't want to go against Pasmarai. I don't want to go against my friends. So then it was like, why are we going against each other? Why don't we work together? Why don't we get eight collectives together and produce shows consistently over an eight-month cycle? The reason why the storefront, in our opinion, is so successful... We, I think someone was in a master class with Ben Blaze or some meeting hmm. where he was like, the way to succeed in the city is to produce quarterly so people know who you are. We're like, let's enhance that model. Let's produce eight plays in eight months. So that's how the incubator exists. It was kind of a response to, like, why is emerging artists are we so intent on cannibalizing each other? Like, why... Obviously, we're competitive, et cetera, et cetera, competition's healthy, but... Why don't we just work together? Why don't we find eight groups we, tr- we trust and go for it? So we have an A play season. We opened last month with Bill, a one man show, which is really fun in the box. Um, Lemon happens this month, um, which is a play about a thirty one year old um, who goes back home and opens a lemonade stand after um, she gets her MBA, and she kind of winds up in Kitchener again. And she competes with an eight-year-old, and it's like this weird show about like stocks in the market when you're eight. <laughs> um, there's like this like this weird hierarchy in there, the lemonade system. It's cool. Uh, in July, uh, well June, July, uh, we're doing my show rowing in a basement in Kensington Market, which is really cool. Um, this is a tangent. Before we jump to the rest of the season, well, something that's cool about the whole Kensington thing and the whole thing about our company is that we're centered in the Queen West area. That's where all of our shows will take place. We will all tr- all of our shows will try to be west of the uh, Spadina line. Mm-hmm. So we have we're in talks, this is not confirmed yet, so but we're in talks with a uh, a space in Kensington to kind of be a semi permanent home for a company. So that there is a constant base for it. And we have like a cool agreement with him. It's a really interesting site. Rowing's kind of the opening of that site for us. To and gauge. that's that space. That's that space. Great. It's a basement. Uh fifty six C Kensington. Formerly an after hours is being converted into a conference a center right now. Mm-hmm. Really cool, really intimate. Uh yeah so, rowing is a, it's a really fast-paced, brutal comeback comedy about a community rowing team who loses their first race in 51 years and has to raise $50,000 for the Heart and the Stroke. Um, yeah, I've been working at it um, over the past few years, did some tweaks. I did in Hamilton fringe and I did in Toronto. Both runs were pretty successful, but I think Toronto was more of a gauge of, like, that people in this city seem to like the show more, and they appreciate the show more. Because, being from Hamilton, um, I think the interesting thing about being from Hamilton is that I think the theater community in the city is used to a certain type of theater. So, for example, when they see something with younger characters or characters who talk quicker, or characters who, say, in my in my exp- expression, swear a lot and fight a lot, because um, that's just the characters I write, that's how they operate, um, the, the feedback was always like, why are they swearing, why are they doing this? And that's fine. That's not my demographic. My demographic is in this city, and I think the Fringe is good for that. So yeah, that's that show. Um, then we... Then the cool part about our second half of the season is we kind of go from the three of us making work um, to... The second half of the season is women, artists of color, and queer artists running the second half of the season, which is great. Because, I, because like, how many, of, how many people out of New York um, that are of color, are queer, um, get a hand from another company, right? Not many, so that's cool. Um, we open in September. I oh, don't know what venue is for this one. Uh, we're working with uh, the Raw Matter Project. I don't know anything about their show. They're still working on it. I do know it's using World War II imagery, and I do know Mm it's deconstructing binaries. That's all I know. What's exciting about working with Raw Matter is that they're very passionate, but they're also, like, really secretive. So the more the summer continues, the more we'll discover about their show. And probably the more they'll discover about the show. Is
1: there a title for that one?
0: We don't know the title yet. Mm -hmm. I don't think they know the title yet either. So it's cool. I think the the fact that the incubator takes on one device show a year is really exciting because, like, they're building it, and they're discovering things, and we discover things. Um... Then in October, um, we are working with Epigraph Collective, doing a show called Tire Swing, mm-hmm. which is opening at the Paprika Festival, actually, at the end of this month.
1: Oh, fabulous. On the
0: 28th at 2.45 p.m. at the Ackie Studio Theatre. It's a, it's a ghost story about growing up queer in Clinton and also Ontario, which is where Curtis Debrink is from, mm-hmm. the playwright. But it's about um, a, a child goes missing, and his ghost haunts them. Uh, throughout the rest of their lives they grow into high school. So it's like a ghost story in rural Ontario. I'm up to bat again. Um, surprise! <laughs> uh, Little Black Afro, in association with their company, Film and Incubator, we're kind of co-proing a show called Swan, which is really exciting. Uh, I got two grants for Swan, which is really exciting. I got a, a TCR from Fujen and Pat the Dog, so it's great to acknowledge that support. And it, over the winter, I was hacking away at that. Uh, Swan is um, two plays. The second play will be produced sometime next year. Uh, the first play is, uh, a swan has been physically torn apart in the middle of this lake in Hamilton, Ontario. And this detective agency, this amateur detective agency, um, tries to solve the case, they get, they disbanded, they come back ten years later, and something's different with the city. the thing about, like, Curtis and I, when Curtis pitched tiresome to me, I'm like, we're writing, like, pretty similar shows, which is cool. He shows about, um show's about male um, LGBTQ things. My show's about female LGBTQ things. Mm -hmm. All the characters in Swan are female, they're all of color, and they're all queer, which is my rule for that show. Um, It's a murder mystery, there's horror elements involved. It's all done through storytelling, so it's going to be something really different for me, because when I write, I usually write really fast, really aggressive comedy. Swan's about aging and irrelevance Mm -hmm. and growing old and realizing you've accomplished nothing. Uh, Swan... I guess full time with this later, but Swan was kind of inspired by an experience I had in Hamilton this year. Like I, I don't know, I thought I'd do really well this year, and I didn't. And it was interesting just feeling that like you were irrelevant for a while. So that's what Swan's kind of inspired by, and I got funding for it. So like, yay! We're actually having auditions next week. And one of the things I love about Swan and the other show I'm working on, Silk Bath, not with the incubator, I'm jumping all over the board right now. <laughs> but um, so you'll have a fun time editing this. Uh, Swan, I uh, think, and with Silk Bath, a show I'm working on, another show I'm working on with the Toronto Fringe. Um, we had auditions where Asian actors were coming in to play Asian characters, and that was so rewarding. Oh my fucking god, mm. that was so fucking rewarding, especially like, like with the whole Canadian stage bullshit where they did not put any any directors of color or writers of color in their season. Baffling to me. Um, and I, I talked to my friend. I was looking for artists of color one day, and he's like, "There were none in my year at York, at uh, not York, even at York, at UTM." And I was like, "What?" So, um, it was so inspiring just seeing artists of color come out for those silk bath, silk bath auditions and talk about their stories and talk about why they wanted to do the show. Yeah, I, I have described myself in the past as an underdog playwright, and I think I'm starting to discover that my underdog is not just white people. Uh, my underdog is minorities, people who don't get their stories told, people who deserve stories that are not just about the railroad, people who deserve stories that are not just about um, how we overcame slavery how we survived the revolution. People who, like, deserve fast narratives, like Cat Sandler narratives, mm-hmm. Kim's convenience narratives, really fast, really aggressive, contemporary dialogue. And that's kind of, I guess, where Swan comes from. So, going back to Swan, then, it's really inspiring for that November show for us that we have, we've had, our, we're full on the audition days. We had so many people turn out, so many diverse artists. We have, like... Brown artists, black artists, white artists, indigenous artists, all coming out, all in their mid-20s. And they're all female. Some of them are queer. And it's like, it's so exciting seeing that. and so exciting being a part of that. So that's one. Um, After Swan, uh, we have double bill, female double bill. Uh, Katie Graham, um, who was at the, uh, she was part of the Tarragon Young Playwrights Unit. And she wrote a great play called Paradise Comics. She did the and New Voices Festival. And it's kind of been sitting, like not incubated, for a <laughs> while. So, um, Zach Parker's pitched uh, her to us. I read the show and I, I cried. I was like, this is this is everything I used to want to write when I was younger. It's about um, a daughter and her mother who grow up after her father kind of vanishes. <laughs> um, their father in a comic book store, and the entire show is them kind of packing up her father's belongings. Um, called Paradise Comics. It's double-billed with a really strange show, called really fun strange show called Till Death Do you Us Part by Lauren Griffiths. This is in November, last week's November before Christmas starts. Um, it's a it's a kind of sketch based show. It's um it's set in like a weird like sad, satirical futuristic area uh, where um, it's kind of like the Lobster. Uh, that Colin Farrell movie, where single people um, get get hooked up to, like, this futuristic society conditions them to be better at at finding people in relationships. So it conditions them to, like, be better in relationships, these horribly heartbroken people. Yeah, um, we saw The Archetype at York University, and we loved it, and we were like, you have to go farther with this. So when we were um, playing the incubator, Lauren was one of the first people that came up, because Lauren's funny as fuck. She's in the, the Second City Conservatory right now. She's actually also in rowing. I love working with the girl. so, like, it was really exciting to take her on. So the second half of the season, first half of the season is what it is. Um, Lemon opens on the twenty fifth of May at the Maldus Art Garden outside. growing opens on the thirtieth of June and runs for the entire Fringe Festival, at eight p.m. every day at fifty six C Kensington. But I'm more, I'm excited for those. But I am more excited for the second half of the season, especially because I think it's like we're t- we're we're responding to that whole notion that there are so many white. Artists in storefronts Which is fine But like We're taking on The real The true underdogs I think The people who are Independent artists Yes but also are like Of color Who don't have their stories Told a lot So that's Of color Of queer Or othered in some way So I think that's interesting That we're We're illuminating them We're incubating them Mm -hmm. That's our season We got And that's how we got together
1: Fabulous Are there Was there anyone That you didn't know Beforehand That is Now involved In the uh, In the season
0: um, the first... This season's kind of like an in-house thing, just because we didn't really know what we were doing at the beginning. Um, we chose... The four of us were each able to choose one of the one of the other groups. So, my choice was Curtis. Um, Andrew's choice was Lauren. Zach's choice was Katie. And Dan's choice was Rebecca. So, they're all in our networks. I don't know Raw I don't know Rob Ra- Matter at all, but those ladies have been so, so good to us. Like, they've been so good at helping us out. Um, and it's exciting meeting all these people. Like, man, um... Yeah, the cast. We don't know these casts. Uh, very few of them are people we've been to school with, which is really exciting. Especially with Lemon, we're working with Danny Gantus, which is awesome, who was just in Factory's line, at the, line in the sand. Um, he's been great to work with. He's been solid to work with. Uh, Bill, um, we're, we worked with the actor named Brendan O'Reilly. Uh, I barely know the guy, and he was great for us. So I think it's cool, because like, we're premiering all these different works we're attracting different creative teams that we don't haven't met before, which is exciting. I think... If we are continuing to a next year, that's still kind of up in the air, because we're still trying to get through this year, um, we're probably going to open a call and just see who we get, because I think we're at the point right now that we're starting to get a model of producing that makes sense for us, that's financially viable for us, that we can just go from there.
1: Yeah. And it's nice to see that there's there's new faces, and you're each reaching out to your own networks, because that's how to create mm-hmm. a theater community. Totally. you know, Because you're right, it's not a theater competition, it's a theater community, let's treat it like that. Yeah, and
0: I also think that just like as people went to York University, we're very insular. Like, we only seem to work with our grads, which I think is silly, because York's Conservatory and devised Theatre and playwriting Improving produce certain writers, directors, actors, technicians in the production program, and designers. But other theatre um, programs have different vocabularies, which is awesome. Like, I find George Brown actors are amazing at text, like... They attack text like no one else attacks text. That's not enough in other programs. It's just something, their program is so based on classical text. Mm-hmm. Seeing them attack text is different from seeing a Ryerson actor attack text using their psychophysical techniques, or even not their psychophysical techniques. A Humber grad, how they approach text is so interesting. So I think that's something that, like, I've learned as a theater maker um, in this city for, I don't mean, know, three, four years, four, five. It's just knowing that, like, different schools, sometimes produce do different grads, sometimes some grads buck the system entirely, which is fine. But, like, there's so many different types of training out there. That, like, they're all fucking valid, which is cool. Like, a Queens grad will attack tax differently than a Guelph grad, which is cool. A Guelph grad will produce differently from a Ryerson grad, which is so interesting because there's different teachers and different faculties. A UTM grad will do things differently than a York grad or an NTS grad. So I think that's exciting that we're trying to open up our reach and try to get out of our own little networks because I think that's something that is inhibiting about theater school.
1: Yeah. For your own practice, is there any artist, uh, playwright, it could be just a theater creator, producer, yeah. that you find you really look up to?
0: Cat uh, Sandler. Cat uh, Sandler in a heartbeat. Uh, Tom <laughs> McGee is my dramaturg for rowing, who's Cat Sandler's nice. dramaturg, which is like, ah. So it's cool seeing that like intermingling between like hearing his stories about how Cat works on things, um, and just like hearing like what works for him and what doesn't work for him, which is really interesting. Again, a Queen's dramaturg different from a York dramaturg, right? Which is really cool. Um Kat Sandler, I'm really inspired by the work of Waiting McGeisha. I love everything she directs, and I love the community feel she brings to things. Um I love how Ravi Jane is a community builder. Um, and he's so open to talking to artists. I was lucky to be mentored by Ravi back in 2010, and one of the th- he just taught me so much about how to cast people. And I remember I remember this. He's like, There's that stupid saying that 90% of directing is casting, but it's true. Because if you you want to cast people who want to play ball with you. You want to cast people who are excited about the project, who don't just view it as a job. And I find every actor who I continue every actor I continue to have a relationship with are people who have wanted to play ball with me and are people who are really excited about me. For Silk Bath, my other show, that's something that I think we nailed. In Silk Bath, everyone who came in was very castable, and they were all great, and we could have cast any of them. But that was the best part about it, because we knew we could have run with all the people who auditioned for Silk Bath. It would have had a great show. But you want people, especially in the indie community, who fight for you. Because no one's going to make money. We're trying to make money. We're probably going to make some money. But, like, if you're just in it for, like, for a gig, especially in the indie original theater market, there's no point. So Ravi, um, Ravi Kat, and uh, Wingy are the three that come to mind. Also, fourth, um, Ron Ulrich at Theater Aquarius. I know I just shit on Hamilton. But uh, Theater. I love the way Ron directs. Again, I was mentored by him back in two thousand and 13 and 14 and just seeing him direct a show that guy can get any show up in 10 days like watching him work taught me how to run a room and taught me how to run a room while still enabling actors choices but also economizing their time using less time but also empowering them to give them more options Ron really gave me structure in how I work so Ron Ulrich's my fourth those are my fourth
1: nice now you took playwriting, and you were also in the Devise theater program for a while.
0: But I dropped out.
1: (laughs) And you were also at Ryerson for a while.
0: (laughs) I was at Ryerson for three months, then they kicked me out.
1: So, what do you find that your process as a creator, uh, either a director or a playwright, has been affected by those different things?
0: Absolutely. Um, I think, while I didn't have the greatest time at Ryerson, that's not Ryerson's fault, I was there for the wrong reasons, Um, I think every director should do The Zone of Silence. Mm -hmm. Um, It's I failed the Zone of Silence class, so I am not very good at explaining it, but I will try. Uh, the Zone of Silence um, it was founded by Peter Wilde and a bunch of people running around. Peter Wilde's the one... I don't even know if it was founded by Peter Wilde, so am sorry, Peter, if you are listening to this. I don't think you are, because you don't know me. Uh, but <laughs> Zone of Silence is essentially two actors walk into a room, they're not allowed to say anything, they're just present with each other, and they follow impulses. And you can't talk, hence the Zone of Silence. But it, the Zone of Silence also teaches you how a scene works. Because like I remember uh, one of the best things I was taught at Ryerson was by my teacher Jennifer Wigmore, um, who said that we watch theater because we want to see heroes on stage, people who fight uh, for their dreams and are a little bit braver and stronger than we are. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. Uh, but that kind of structured my theatrical process, that like when I look at a scene, when I write a scene, it all, something always has to be happening. New information constantly. My writing's aggressive as a result of Zone. But I think Zone of Silence really shaped the way I direct too, because it's like, Always looking for what's happening, what's happening. Just being present and feeling things isn't enough. Drive the scene. Fight for something. My favorite zone, I was bad at zone, but my favorite zone situation was um, silly acting exercise. Not silly for some people. Great acting exercise. Um, You isolate two people in different corners. Um, Two actors, you close your eyes, you don't know who your scene partner is, you get tapped on the shoulder, and you go into a little booth. And you think about something that just happened, something you create. And the whole thing is you have to get something from the other person in the scene to leave to go somewhere else. But you And they have to get something from you, but you don't know who they are, and you can't talk to them. Um, but it's like a big event, like a big traumatic event. High stakes. So that was the thing that affected me the most. I remember we saw people like... my. The one I remember the most um, was one of my classmates uh, did a zone of silence where he had just killed his friends in a drunk driving accident. That's what he came up with. And he needed to figure out how to apologize to their mothers. Mm -hmm. So in that zone, he needed to figure out how to apologize with the other person, like test them out. And the other person just wanted to fight. That was their thing. They were going to beat someone up. So like, seeing that interaction, seeing two people really want something and go to -to head-to-head against each other, that's kind of how we structure a lot of my directing processes. Um, It's what's the conflict of the scene, what do the characters want, and how they maneuver each other. What are the tactic changes? That's my Ryerson training. Uh, York, um, the most useful thing I learned at York was in the playwriting program. Everything else I learned at York is kind of ancillary. I found it influenced my playwriting. But with York, it was new information, learning what my voice was, and learning what stories I'm interested in. That being said, they're fa- they're fast, they're vulgar, they're violent, and now they're about color. Um, that's York. Um, also, um, when I shadowed a director, York really taught me, um, with beats and units, that's a big thing. Whenever I work in a script, the first thing I do is I break them into thoughts. I don't understand what a beat or unit is. I use them interchangeably because I'm stupid. Uh, but what I do when I look at a script is um, I just go through and I just draw the lines where I know shifts are. And I don't know what that means, but I just know where the shifts are intrinsically. Then I will go back and, using the training I had at Theater Aquarius through a mentorship, I pre-block the show. I set up a bunch of moves. I block based on, based on intentions and shifts in thought. So if a character, for example, um, wants, like, if there's a shift in thought, I might have them adjust their glasses. Um, Mark Wilson calls those buttons. A lot of people call those buttons. It's interesting because it gives the actor an action that clues them in on, like, there's a shift happening. Like, I might block something, or they might riff off me and do something. I'm like, that's cool, because there was a shift. I find in Silk Bath, it works really well because we have a cast who's really smart like that. They're they're able to do things, like, one of them will sneeze, one of them will, like, twitch, and it'll trigger something. Uh, Devise Theatre taught me how any space is a theatre. That's the one thing I took away from Devise. Any space is a theatre, any space is a rehearsal hall. Device theater, even though I dropped it, taught me to be scrappy. I think yeah. that's it. That like you don't need a theater. You we just I just did a show um, in a garage. You don't need a real space to make a show. You just need energy and the right amount of things. Those are the things that took away from my training.
1: Great. Uh, is there any show coming up that you are excited to see? A little opportunity to shout out to anyone here <laughs> um,
0: that I'm not producing. Obviously, uh,
1: I mean it could be the obviously producing. I'm
0: excited to see Lemon because well, <laughs> uh, Lemon opens in a few weeks. Um, at the Toronto Fringe, this is a lot later. Um, I'm really fucking stoked to see Cat Sandler show this year. I mean, I love Cat. Uh, I love her work. I'm really excited to see Cat's show this year um, because she's working more on Jasp. Um, she's working. It's a collective creation written by Cat Sandler. I think it's about aliens. I'm not really sure, but um, it's done by all these theater artists, like like comedic theater artists. Down. I think Sex T Rex is working on. I'm not really sure, but it's a big collective creations in Tarragon. I'm excited for that. Um, I'm excited for Binge, because we're neighbors in the Fringe. Uh, I live with Joel Edmiston. Binge is at the round for the Fringe. Uh, I'm really excited about, um, shit, something... Oh, Father Comes Home from the War! At, um, uh, at Soulpepper. Um, it's a three-part play, season Laurie Parks, Wayne McAish is directing, so that's, like, always a win. Um, yeah, those are the three that come to mind right now, because, like, I love Wayne's direction, and, like, I just love watching her, watching her process on stage. I heard this rumor that might not be true, but I think it's true that in Kim's convenience, which she directed, she had each of the actors hide a personal item in the set to make them feel like when they walked into that store, it was home to them. Mm. And I love that. I love that idea that like once the show's up, it's the actor's property. So as a director, I guess something that, I've never worked with her, but something that really inspires me about Wayne and just hearing that about her is that um, is that she makes the show the actors' own. And that's why I try to use this direction. even though I pre-block, like it's like, this is the movement pattern. But if you have something else, please throw it in there. And then we just rip off each other. So we create an environment of like, this isn't working, then do this, then try this, then try something. So my room is very, it's structured, but there's a lot of room for like, I don't know what we're doing. So I'm gonna give you an exercise and I will pull from that exercise. I don't know what you're doing. You have a suggestion. What is this? And people challenge me, I love that. Because then it shows that like I'm not I don't know what I'm doing half the time. So it's good that someone else in the room is like, hmm, I don't I don't not like what you're doing, but that's not quite working. Let me try something else. And it's like, of course. So it's kind of like an egoist room, which I really enjoy.
1: Now I know that you grew up in Hamilton. Yeah. So your stories primarily or predominantly come from Hamilton. Yes, I do. But you have now lived in Toronto for what five years?
0: <laughs> uh well, like I used to do fringes back in Hamilton. I'm kind of taking a break from the Hamilton Fringe this year, just because like last year we didn't do so well, and I think that's just something. It's it sucks, and it's no one's fault because it was Panamania. But like, we did. 10, 10 10 last year, which I did, worked on a big dance show last year, um, in Hamilton, in Toronto, and just seeing, like, just seeing the response in ha- Toronto m- made me reaffirm that, like, this is the city I want to be in. We had 108 people on our opening night. I haven't sold that well since 2012. Um, so, that was, that was cool, and it was, like, people care about diverse work here. Not seeing they don't in Hamilton, but, like, Hamilton's got a different population. I think Hamilton's growing, and, like, honestly, I, I don't, I don't know if I, um, I, I have the, uh, not the time for Hamilton right now, but, like, I don't know if I have... That's what my career trajectories are. Like, I want to build something here. I think that's something I really want to do. And I will take the underdogness from Hamilton with me. I will take the scrappiness of the city with me, um, which is in all of my writing. I will take my experiences with me of growing up in a city in the shadow of another city. But I think financially it just makes sense for me to be here.
1: Yep. Uh, Do you think your stories will start revolving around Toronto as a location. Hamilton's always home. Fascinating.
0: Um, I... The city's cool. I love the city. I love living in Kensington. I love Chinatown. But, like, I think it's important to acknowledge where you're from and where you're raised. Especially if it's, like, had something on you. I remember I watched the bootleg of Hamilton. Shh. I watched an illegal recording of the musical Alexander Hamilton... Uh, if Lin-Manuel Miranda is listening to this, which he's definitely not, um, I'm sorry. I will pay to see your show if it comes here, when it comes here. <laughs> but for now, I watched the legal version. Um, I cried when I watched it because I felt like skin. I felt my skin growing on me. And it was like, oh, I felt my grandfather. Like, I felt him walking through that show with me. And I-, I remember I was in this conference. This is a tangent, but connected to it. I was in this conference in Hamilton about diversity. And one of the people in Hamilton who I really look up to um, is Murillo Nunes, who used to run it. Almedia Theatre? I'm probably wrong about that. No, she runs Almedia, because that's closed now. <laughs> Almedia Theatre. And she was like, she doesn't believe in producing Shakespeare. And I'm like, why? I don't like Shakespeare that much. I'm like, why? And she's like, because it means something when an actor is the right color for the show. It means something when Danish people are playing Hamlet. It means something uh, when a show about the Congo is actors from the Congo. It means something when you're playing something that's inherently in your body. So the way to solve that whole colorblind thing is, is not to colorblind cast, but to produce more works of people of color. And I love that mentality. So, like, I guess from now on, if a show... I've been very guilty of whitewashing in the past, and I'm, I'm solving, I solved that problem this year, which is great. But um, from now on, from this point forward, I write with race in mind. A character is Vietnamese, they're Vietnamese. The actor doesn't need to be Vietnamese, but they need to understand that love, culture, and they need to at least be Asian. Um, if a character is written as black, they're black. And there's a reason for that. There's no token thing. Um, I'm frustrated with that. I'm frustrated by like that whole the grassy thing where it's like, oh, your best friend is black, and they just throw some black jokes, and it's not enough. Like, give him something to play with. Um, sorry, what was the question? I lost the question.
1: Uh, if you think that your stories will start revolving around Toronto? No,
0: because home is home, and it's important to write about home.
1: Nice. Do you have any advice for people looking to start moving from other cities into Toronto with their art?
0: Do it. <laughs> that's, that's the big thing. Just do it. Um, do it. If you think, d- and don't wait on things. Mm. I, I mean, this is another thing. Maybe cut this, but don't. But I'm going to say it anyway. I was trying to think could be a start in Hamilton for about a year and a half. And nobody was biting you. like, Let's wait. Let's wait. Let's wait. I was like, no, let's do it now. Because we've been waiting for years. We've been waiting for so long. Let's do it right now. Let's Let's force ourselves to work. And that's why I moved to this city. Because things are happening right now We had a launch party for Filament. 90 people showed up. That's insane for us. Like, we're unestablished. Like, 90 people came. Um, Yeah. uh, My advice is just to do it. Just do it. Just do it. Make it work. If you want to make it work, make it work. Peter Dinklage, I was reading this last night, Peter Dinklage, Game of Thrones, Emmy Award-winning actor, um, said he worked an office job to pay for his theater stuff. But then he regretted that immediately, because he was like, I was out of the game for five years, because he was convinced himself he wasn't ready. You are ready. Go. You don't think you're ready? Get trading, but go. Don't sit on a Joe job. You have to pay off debts? Sure. But like, still train. Still make it work. Still network. Still be in the community. There's no reason to be scared. Yes, debt is important. Yes, do your taxes. Yes, you do all that. But if you want something, you will make it work. That's my philosophy for everything. Especially when I was working with Andrew. Andrew was like, I'm not a player. I'm like, you are. Finish the play. And we kept giving him deadlines, and he got it done. If you want this, do it. If you don't want it, don't do it. That's my advice.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And have you found that people are ready and willing to help in the theater community? For fi- here? Uh, for anything. Yeah, uh,
0: totally. Oh my god. Um, when I went with another company, it was 17 companies, I went with another company called Then They Fight. Uh, it was founded because Nealey Aquino and us met up and we talked and we chatted. And like, artist director Jordan Lafreni, this is not Filament, this is the other company I'm with, Then They Fight, um, he meets with ADs regularly to pick their brains and chat through ideas with them. Everyone's willing to help you in this city. That's why I'm in Toronto, because, like, every opportunity I've been given has been because someone saw my work and was like, I want to give you this. That doesn't happen usually. Even my opportunity to Aquarius, like, Luke Brown, the associate artistic director, took me aside and said, I liked your work, man. I want to give you that leg up. Um, And I really appreciate that. So, like, I think a lot of artists in the city have gotten that, so it's a culture of giving back. And that's what I love about this city. That's why I really appreciate Theater Aquarius. But that's what I love about this city specifically. Like, people want to help you. People want to help you succeed. Because, like, yeah, we are all in this together, but we're all generating new work and new stories. And this city has such a thriving, independent theater community that, like, people want to help you. So, yeah, yes, the answer is yes.
1: Yeah, and there's a big movement with that now, too, with Indie Unite and Ben Blaze in the storefront. Ben Blaze is
0: great. Oh, my gosh, he's awesome.
1: Yeah, it's very nice to see.
0: Yeah, and, like, I think that's a community I pine for in Hamilton, and that's here, which I love.
1: And it seems like it's growing.
0: It's growing, yeah. Hamilton is also growing, but, like, I think I think people, people like Rose Hopkins and Michael Cross and people who are in Hamilton are developing it, but, like, here there's already a community, and that's something just, in my, in my, with the career I want to pursue, that's something I think I want to stay in the city for.
1: Nice. So what are your goals for this season?
0: For The Incubator? Um, promote the other shows. It's so simple, like... Um, get the name, get the word out there that we are not a company. We are a producing body. That's the big difference between us and a lot of other companies. We are producing body. We'll give you money. We'll put you in a venue. We'll sell your show. I want to give the leg up to all these companies. I want to unite the underdogs. I want to create a great, large community. And I want to help these people's networks help each other. That's my goal with incubator. Um, obviously, I want to sell. Um, but most importantly, I want to make sure that these artists who have been underproduced are not produced.
1: It's fabulous. You've received a couple grants this year. Free. How important has that been to your process? Oh my god. Ah. It
0: made me feel like a pro. Oh my god. Like, I remember I was sitting, like, I was sitting in August and I finished these grants and I was exhausted. I'm like, there's no way we're fucking getting these. Then in October, we got a grant for uh, the 10 and 10 workshop. And I was like, what? Um, it made me feel like a pro. It made me feel like I could do this. Like, this incubator, I would not have been founded if I, at least for me, like, I wouldn't have pursued it so actively if I hadn't won that grant. For then they fight. Um, yeah, it's just like feeling that you're. You can get paid for your work is just so important, and just having that and knowing that like for the first four months this year, I was paid to be a playwright. That was so big for me because it made me. Because I didn't work a Joe job. Like you, you work in the arts. You know, yeah. it's just like you feel like a professional, and it's good. It's like because. There's the because the only thing I want in this career is to make a living out of it. Yes, I want to be a community builder, but my ultimate goal is to survive on my work. That's all I want to do, um, so I can keep making opportunities for people. Obviously, but yeah, and that was just I felt like I was one step closer to that. It also made me feel like my work was important. Like ten and 10, ten, someone on a committee somewhere was like, "This show has real community value," especially after Hamilton, where we went and people were like, "What is this? I don't get this. This is stupid. I don't understand this show." And it was like. I just felt like a shitty artist back then. Um, that was big. Um, yeah, th- that was the big thing, especially the writing grant. The, the workshop grant was like, oh, the project has value, but the writing grant was like, my work has value because it promotes communities that do not get a lot of stories told about them. And I think if we tell stories about those communities, um, they become valued, and maybe they'll get produced by other companies, and maybe we'll give an artist a leg up somewhere, and someone will see that artist, and they will employ her.
1: Well, because they're suddenly not being represented by a stereotype. They're being represented yeah. by a human.
0: Or a peripheral, or like a, an other character, or like, um, or, or like um, the, the strange foreigner uh, when Hugh Jackman goes to, uh, to Japan and fights all these ninjas. Yeah. Um, I think it's good. The only thing I like about Hamilton, too, is there's just one scene uh, where uh, the four characters are all people of color, two, two Latinos um, and two black guys, um, and they're just like drinking and just having a good time. It's not about gangs, it's not about drugs, it's not about child slavery. Three revolutionaries, four revolutionaries are sitting in a bar, and they're just drinking and talking, and it's like, ah, fuck, you're just sitting, and you're just talking. I'm so glad Rowan has a person of color in it now. Mm. I'm so glad. Zach was great in the role, Um, there's a character in the show who's Asian, and we had to change him to white, because no people of color came out, but like, when Zach left on tour and I was like, this character now needs to be of color because he was written as a color, and I had to neuter him for my friend Zach Parker when he was cast. Um, it's so good, just feeling that, and just feeling like there are stories in his body. There are things in his body that he doesn't know. That sounded really gross. Um, there are things in his body that he doesn't understand, but there are things in his body that, like, are inherent to him. Like, there's a history of, like, being other in him that I think is important for rowing. Silk Bath's great, too, because they're all... We have uh, three Chinese. The Silk Bath um, is... Two-thirds of that show are in Chinese, um, with subtitles, which is great. I can direct in Chinese, which is weird. But, um, yeah, it's good to know that an actor on stage has stories in their body when they're cast as the race they're supposed to be.
1: I didn't realize that you spoke Chinese. I don't. How did you go about writing that?
0: I wrote in English, and uh, Amanda Zhu's in the show. speaks fluent Mandarin, best speaks fluent Mandarin. Uh, Dorcas Chu, also in silk, best speaks fluent Cantonese. They translate. I direct them in English. They translate, and then I'm able to direct them while they speak Cantonese or Mandarin because I can hear the shifts, and I know where the lines are. I'm picking up Mandarin and Cantonese. I can't speak it. Don't ask me to speak it. But, like, um, I know words now, so when I hear things, I'm like, I don't buy that because I know what that is in English, and I know what the translation is, and I don't buy, even though you're speaking Mandarin, I don't know what you're saying, I know the intention, and you're not giving that intention on that line.
1: That's fascinating.
0: Yeah. It's uh, been a really
1: cool process
0: for that. Yeah. For Silk Bath, yeah. Which is not with the Incubator. <laughs> so I guess a timeline, looking at a timeline. If you want to support my stuff. Um, lemon in May. For the first two months. Lemons in May with film and incubator at the Hour Garden. May 25th, June 5th. Andrew Markovic wrote that. Um, rowing in June-July. And Silk Bath in June-July. Both those two shows are in the Toronto Fringe. Yeah, that's just the rundown. Excellent.
1: Uh, anything else that you want to put out there, we'll probably close after this question.
0: Great, um, oh god, um, thank you for doing this, I think that's been great, um, I'm excited, I'm really excited, I'm excited to be working with people of color, I mean, am going to SWAN auditions, um, for the November show on Monday, I guess this will come out later, so whatever, I'm going to SWAN auditions after this interview, um. <laughs> Or maybe we've already cast, and the Swan cast, and the Swan rejected you listening to this and grumbling that Aaron Jan's an asshole, I wish should listened to him. But, um. I'm excited to work with people of color. I'm excited to work with people of color who are not of. um, who are not of. who are not stereotyped, who are not gang members, who are not background characters. I'm excited to work on rowing with a person of color in that, so I can actually tell the story I want to tell. Oh god, I should talk about rowing! Fuck, I haven't talked about rowing at all! Um, I'm doing another. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'll talk about my two shows in the Toronto Fringe. <laughs> I haven't pitched those at all! Silk Bath opens on the 29th of June at the Tarragon, uh, main space. It's interesting, because it's kind of, um, a satirical look on immigration once the citizen paperworks are signed. Kind of how, once immigrants are still in, they're not really citizens, because we still other them. Um, it's set under the lights of a reality TV show, where four potential immigrants compete to be the most safe. Um, there's a—Silkbath was inspired by there's—actually in Chinatown, right behind me, I'm sitting face behind Chinatown, um, there is, um, a poster up that shows a bunch—a cartoon of a bunch of people, um, a bunch of cartoon immigrants coming in, and the—it's in Chinese, it's in Chinese, written in Chinese, but there's English above it. The top says, do not take this poster down, this is freedom of speech. As soon as I see that, I'm like, uh-oh, um— it was talking about how all these immigrants from Syria are dangerous terrorists, and they come from terrorist-producing countries. And this is also coming not from a white voice, which is stereotypically the antagonistic voice, but an Asian guy who owns a video store who has a security camera positioned outside it because he's so fucking scared someone will take down this sign. There are 400 staples in it. So there's this idea that even as landed people, even as landed immigrants, and everyone's an immigrant to Canada, um... We're still scared of other immigrants. We're terrified of people coming in. That was the basis for Silk Bath. That what if Asians, the model minority, were the group that was to be feared? What if we were the savages? So it's set in this facility where these four contestants have to compete to prove they're not terrorists and prove they're safe and prove they're essentially model minorities, which is like the... Those type of people. Um, It's half in Cantonese, half in Mandarin, other half in English. Characters after speak their native languages, which is really important to me. Um, it's surtitled sort of in English and Chinese, so if you're deaf, you can understand the show because you can read it, um, which is fantastic. Um, it's very physical. There's lots of water on stage. Characters spray themselves constantly. Um, yeah, it's been a blast. Every rehearsal has been, like, amazing because what we started with the process was we started by sharing stories. Um, the entire cast, I asked them a bunch of questions, and then we, we went back to the script and rewrote the entire thing with their stories in mind. Which is, in my opinion, that's how I like devising. You write a script first, you go, you set out the entire spine, you go through the spine with everyone, and then you say, this section is a devised section. You fill that in with something else. Um, yeah, so Silk Pass, great. Um, it's awesome. We're having a, a great time. Please see that. It's going to be awesome. Um, second show is rowing. Uh, we talked a little bit about rowing, about the community rowing team. Uh, rowing is near and dear to my heart. This is about my grandfather, who uh, has dementia and will probably die this year. It's about, my grandfather uh, was an immigrant to Canada, um, ran away from the communists to India, uh, became a scholar despite not having a high school education, got a, became a PhD professor despite not having a high school education, because he worked in the library and read books. Um, my grandfather and I became very close um, because I'm an artist, he's an artist, uh, he's a religion scholar, he was a poet back in uh, China, he wrote for a newspaper, and uh, he kept begging for me to visit him in the hospital. Um, to my father, he always goes, where's Aaron? Where's Aaron? I never did. Um, and that's what rowing's about. Rowan's about failing to meet your family legacy and failing to save the people that you need to save. Um, because Mark, the main character, um, is, uh, he's, he has a family member who's dying and it's like, this race will save him. If I win this race, it's going to save him. And it doesn't. It's also a comedy. Um, <laughs> that's the heavy part. But rowing it's, it's a comedy about uh, how you lose and how we deal with losing, I've been working on it for like two years and I'm glad to say I think this is the last time I'm going to do this show because like I'm going to put this up in this basement <laughs> I'm going to put this up in this basement that sounds really scary I'm going to put the show up um, let it hit let it land with the cast it should have because we finally have a person of color in that role and then just let it be because I think I'm on to a different phase of my life now
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah I'm excited for it though I'm stoked for it it's a really fun you've, you've seen it oh, yeah. it's a really fun uh, really, really fast show which is something I really appreciate um, and it's like everything I kind of like in theater it's fun, it's under 90 minutes, you get in, and get out. It's funny, um, people get hurt, someone vomits in the show. It's great, it's a bloody good time. Yeah, uh, that's it. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you, that's been great. Yep, bye. You. Bye, guys.